Welcome to Packet Pushes Having Networking. We've been talking more and more often about data processing units or DPUs in 2022. Now, conceptually, a DPU is a next generation smart NIC. And most often a DPU has like eight ARM CPU cores, eight 16 gigs of memory, a crypto and acceleration engine, a SIRDES and some FI modules so that you can connect to the network. And most importantly, some form of networking ASIC, a custom ASIC that does a bunch of things. Now, the DPU hardware is roughly similar to your everyday network appliance. So it looks a bit like a low belt or a firewall, just happens to be on a NIC. It doesn't have to be standalone. But the most important aspect of a DPU is not that it's inside your server. It's the software that brings network and storage and application services inside the server. This is a lot of business benefits. We get power reduction, we get improved forwarding performance, uh, we get um, hardcore network services like firewalls and orchestration and service mesh acceleration inside the server, not inside the network. And they're offloaded from the CPU. Now, how does this happen? It all happens in software. And in today's sponsored show, NVIDIA is talking about Docker on their Bluefield DPUs. Now, Docker is both a runtime operating system on the DPU, including tools for provisioning, deploying, and orchestrating containerized services. But it's also the name of the SDK that supports a range of operating systems and distributions of that part of it. And it also includes a whole range of APIs. It includes a, a collection of sample apps that you can access, and it includes a whole bunch of applications that you can draw on in anything that you want to write. So it includes drivers, libraries, and tools. It's really quite a broad spectrum. It's not like, here's the NIC, go off and have a nice day. It's, it's a complete solution. So in today's sponsored show, we're diving into Docker in a lot more detail. I'm joined by Justin Betts and Wes Kennedy. Both of them are technical marketing engineers with NVIDIA. I gave a summary introduction, but before we get into the details of Docker, I think we should set a, a baseline about what is the DPU. I gave a bit of an overview in the introduction there. Is that actually correct? Is the DPU basically a bunch of CPUs memory? Is it a computer on a card? I mean, yeah, I think I think you did a great job describing it there. You know, there's there's a lot more to it. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the ASICs and the hardware acceleration engines and things like that, which I'm sure we'll we'll dive into. But at the end of the day, it's you know, basically in our in our situation, it's a Connect X six or seven for the Bluefield three, some ARM cores, memory, hardware acceleration, and we shove that into your server and do all sorts of fun stuff with it. This is the uh, the hardware that Connect X six comes from uh, Nvidia's acquisition of of Mellanox. Yes, that's where that's where Nvidia's got this, and they've essentially rebranded it as a DPU, a data processing unit. Well, yeah. So the Connect X six obviously was just the standalone NIC, and then they've added onto that with the ARM cores and other things. Okay. So we've mm. we've started with that, you know, ultra uh, popular NIC, and then we've we've expanded from there. Yeah, a piece of the acceleration also comes from uh, Titan IC. Mellanox acquired uh, the company Titan IC for their regex acceleration. So we got um, that's an important distinction of the Bluefield. Uh, separate from the Connectx is the regex accelerator, and that sort of precipitated the idea of a DPU. Right, you've got the Connectx subsystem, all those crypto offloads that have been available with Connectx NICs. But mm. what if we keep expanding that? Right. So yeah, I think you did a great job of introducing DPUs and and the mm. more general. You know, zooming out a little bit more, the general strategy of the DPU is really just to free up server CPU cycles from like infrastructure and networking tasks so that you can do more business on your servers, you know, more business apps. Yeah, yeah. the idea is, is that uh, if you're using a generic Intel CPU, you might have, say, 16 virtual cores in there, you know, four physical cores, and there might be 16 virtual cores or 
you know, eight and two or whatever the, the, the current version of your Intel CPU is, but you can lose one, two, three, four virtual CPU cores if you're moving a lot of data on and off the server. So if you're moving 100 gigs sustained onto the network, like as a, as you're a store, if you're a storage server, for example, you've got a, a problem where your CPU cores are and the energy consumption is on a non-optimized chipset. That is the CPU is a general purpose and it's trying to do all of the IO, trying to do all of the storage processing in the general purpose CPU. But you come along with Docker and a Bluefield, Nick, and all of a sudden you can just say, hey, that goes over there. There's a custom piece of um, silicon there that does the storage processing. So we just touch on this, but for example, one of the most popular applications for the Bluefield is the NVMe functionality. And it does all of the NVMEs to storage functionality as a complete offload from the CPU core. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to that, you know, you can do NVMe over fabrics and then actually present a remote NVMe drive as if it was local on the PCI bus. So there's a, there's a lot of really, really neat things that happen there as well. Mm. And, you know, at a hundred gigs so, so yeah. without yes, using any slow. of the CPU. Yeah. yeah, it's real slow, <laughs> but you know, like it, it uses none of the CPU cores. So this is a real transition in the way that it works. So if there's an operating system on the NIC, what does that look like? Is that a custom operating system or is it Linux? What does it look like? Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's based on Ubuntu. Uh, we ship it with Bluefield OS. Canonical actually maintains the custom kernel for us, and then uh, we have you know there's there's some other images such as CentOS, and and then our partners and alliance partners are are building their own OSs that they're running on it. So you know if you're looking at VMware with Project Monterey, they're running a custom version of an operating system on there, which we'll touch on later. Um, okay. So it's it's really just an arm box that you're strapping on whatever OS is either supported or has the has the firmware tools built in. So my question about DPUs is that if I'm already offloading some specific functions, networking functions, security functions, storage functions from the CPU, and obviously I understand why you'd want to do that, why wouldn't I just put uh, you know a, a tricked out hardware appliance in front of a cluster of servers as opposed to putting a bunch of NICs into the servers? Uh, you can. That's definitely one strategy, I think. Um, for lots of reasons, uh, lots of operational reasons that that might not be optimal. Um, that's sort of the strategy, right? I guess it's the centralized versus distributed sort of services model. And uh, I think the trend you're seeing is more toward distributed services, more closer toward the host. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's mm -hmm. and that comes with its own set of advantages. You can orchestrate containerized services, network network uh, virtualized network functions as containers on the DPU. Um, it just gives you a lot more scale, a lot more mm -hmm. flexibility in terms of piping things around. And uh, you know when Appliances are tethered, you know, they're physical things that are, you know, linked to the infrastructure and having a, you know, software defined environment is sort of a lot more flexible, a lot more um, operator friendly, so mm. to say. I think it's a couple of things. I think one is if the NIC is in, if the DPU is inside the server, uh, then, and then you decide I want to put a firewall and then I need an IDS uh, and then I want to, these all use up switch ports and they all use up power as well. So ports are allocated to the, whereas if you're moving the firewall out to the edge, I think it's more of a, this functionality that the secret to TCP IP or the secret to networking is that everything happens at the edge of the network. The original architecture of networking is distributed and the intelligence happens at the edge and the, the core of the network should be dumb. And so this is how leaf spines become so popular. The spine of the network is dumb. It just forwards the, the packets and the edge is where the processing happens. So we stuff the packets inside of an eVPN overlay, right? And that works. And the idea here is that every time you add a server, you add a Docker 
uh, and a Bluefield NIC, you're actually adding compute power or resourcing or processing power to the firewalls because every server comes with the firewall or the threat detection or the RDMA or the, you know, the NVMe. And that just improves the performance as the data center grows. Yeah, that's exactly it, Greg. Um, you know, having providing services like that in the infrastructure is just brittle for a lot of different reasons, right? You got that blast radius problem, right? Where you have to sit these yeah. services in line, you know, when they fail, uh, they fail hard. You know, the, you've got yeah. a lot of different ways to deploy those security services, but inline is the most secure. And, you know, when it goes down, uh, it goes down and uh, it takes down a lot of things with it. Yeah, pushing those things out, making them more distributed, smaller, smaller pieces is a smaller blast radius, right? So especially if you mm. think of a modern containerized workload where if everything's a container on servers, on, you know, nameless, faceless workers, um, and there's a DPU in there. If that blows up, you can just move your workloads somewhere else. They probably are also running somewhere else. So you can yeah. scale up and scale down. Um, yeah, distributed services are, are sort of the name of the game. Yeah. And it also means you don't have like, you know, services that don't need to go through the firewall, going through the firewall and consuming that resource. So how many yeah. times have you had a firewall and 30% of the traffic going through it is backup, which doesn't need to go through a firewall? <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, you pay for all of that. So and then the ease, of, and then the ease of, of use in the infrastructure too. Like the, the, the simplicity in the infrastructure is just so worth, so worth its weight in gold, right? Just having a, a core that routes IP packets, man, that's really nice. No layer two. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess the other side here is that the, the DPU concept is that it's software centric from the start because it's a more recent development. There's no idea that this is, comes from the factory pre-installed with an operating system and you just type in some CLI configs. We'll talk more about this in a minute about running applications on the DPU, but the whole process here is that there's software on the on the on the DPU and I get to control that using software. So it's software right defined. On. Yeah. Infinitely flexible. Yeah. Well think of it think about a scenario where okay if you're you're running Kubernetes across the board like Justin mentioned, you can have a separate Kubernetes cluster that's that is built up of the DPUs and you're deploying your your services that way, right? So it's not just deploying all of your application or user-facing services. You can do the same thing with those infrastructure services. Mm. So what are some common applications that I would be running on a DPU then? I mean, we've, we've got a pile of uh, firewall partners that are working with us right now. And then, you know, Project Monterey is a, a huge one that we're working on with VMware. Um, but yeah, definitely firewall today is a huge use case given all the, the hardware offload and acceleration that we can do. So there's kind of like a traditional approach, which is to say things that are appliances today could be ported to run on the Bluefield DPU. Yeah, that, that's one school of thought, although that strictly doing that doesn't lend itself too well. There's not really not enough ARM uh, processing on the Bluefield, you know, mm -hmm. ARM, especially in the Bluefield 2 generation. We have, uh, what is it, eight cores, uh, A72 ARM mm -hmm. cores. So they're not super powerful. So you can't do something like a full-fledged, like, you know, Palo Alto next-gen firewall um, on the on the DPU today. But what we're thinking about, the way we want people to think about it is more so pulling off pieces of an application and offloading or using an accelerator on the card to make a piece of your application go faster. So that becomes a little bit more complicated, what that actually looks like in an application. That's more, you know, software, software architecture, you know, conversations that are much more complex out of my wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, well, the idea, the idea would be, be, would be doing something like moving uh, like in the, in the VMware use case, like moving NSX to the DPU, like moving the NSX mm -hmm. offloading, okay. offload that on the DPU, right? That's not a, 
It's not an extremely heavy application um, all the time. And you can offload it. Be. And yeah. it can be. And uh, you know, all of the offloading functions that we have on a DPU lend itself well to that that app, that infrastructure application specifically. So NSX might use part of your standard libraries like DPI detection or flow management. Um, that's the plan. Yeah. Today, today they're not use honestly not using um mm. much of the of Doka flow, for example. Mm. But yeah, that would be the the trend. That would be the pathway. Okay, so let's bring this back then to Doga because I feel like that's where we're headed, that the whole idea of uh, the hardware is the hardware. What separates it is this Doka layer where uh, ISVs or third parties can work with NVIDIA to say, hey, we've got an app we think would be good to run on this uh, this DPU. Yeah, yeah. I think as, as a product, Doka sort of has a couple pillars, and that's sort of the Doka accelerated, what we'll call a Doka accelerated libraries and APIs. That is really sort of the shining star of Doka. Meaning, uh, I guess, similar to the concept of CUDA for GPUs, this is the concept of Doka for DPUs, is the accelerated libraries. You know, that's what CUDA is, basically, in a set of libraries. And APIs do general purpose processing on, on GPUs. Um, we're providing something similar for, for DPUs. So this means that I could write my own applications using Doka? Is that the sort of thing we're sort of promoting I could as an enterprise, choose certain mini apps that would be related to what I want to do using standard libraries that you provide? I don't know, Greg. How good of a C developer are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, Doka comes with a bunch of standard libraries that I can call. I was reading the sure. documentation as we prepared. And I was really surprised to see things like there are standard application recognition. So, And it's part of the Doka API. And it does deep packet inspection, and then I can use that to recognize applications. I would normally think of that as something I would never be able to do. But under certain circumstances, like if I'm running a service mesh or something like that, maybe I don't want to wait for the service mesh people to catch up and start implementing something. I could start to get some some point-in-time apps to come around this. Is that unreasonable? No, I think that's a good way to think about it. Uh, there's two mm. ways you could, you could create an application starting with Doka and think about developing it, uh, developing an application all from the from the ground up with Doka. That's definitely one way you could think about it. A lot of mm. your code and your logic probably wouldn't be Doka libraries, but a lot of that, whatever core functionality you want, would probably be based around that. Right. I think the Doka deep packet inspection library is a great way to think about the value that we bring with Doka. So. Mm. If you had to write a DPI application all by yourself without Doka, it would be really difficult. You'd have to write a lot of those pre-processing routines and like be able to parse packet headers because at bottom, that sample application you were looking at is really just a form of an IDS, but it's just mm. monitoring and displaying for you what those applications are that are going by. But it's doing it by looking in the packet payload somewhere. And the way that you interact with that application is by using Suricata rules. So basically, you write Suricata IDS signature mm. rules with a regex, and it invokes uh, the, the DPI library knows how to translate that rule into like a compiled signature. And then an application uses the compiled signature and then the regex engine on the DPU to perform this, this deep packet inspection. But again, if you were to write that by yourself, you'd have to write a lot of code to actually go look in packet headers and understand mm. what you're looking at and then be able to invoke the regex engine and speak the you know the the specific pre-compiled uh, you know signature way or pre-compiled regex way that, yeah. that it expects um, 
to have a, a well, I, d- I don't want to do that. It's a bit like Ansible yeah, really frameworks, hard. right? Somebody really else hard. has done a lot of the heavy lifting. I sort of think about it as the 80-20 rule. If I want to do a firewall rule um, or do some sort of filtering rule, say, around a service mesh, I might just want to say I want to reject all traffic that's not a service mesh, you know, except maybe some SSH to administer the underlying container operating system and things like that. And I could then just make a simple call to a DPI from the Kubernetes deployment engine saying, configure this into the Do- in, in Docker to set it up this way. Um, yeah, so uh, the Doka DPI library is definitely more of an IDS use case. Doka mm-hmm. Flow is sort of more like that pipe, more of, more of that low level like packet processing, like match and action type of API. So right. yeah, if that's the kind of program you want to write where it's like, you know, I, I want to do a lot of like match and action. If I have a certain certain application looking for certain ports and protocols, and then I want to do something with it, you'd probably use Doka Flow as the library for that, basic, the basic packet processing. And then as an action, you can do things like, Pass the packet to another set of queues where you'd have a you know more you know your other logic or D, you know DBDK application servicing those queues and doing additional work on uh, on one of our packets or flows you okay. want. But some so of the actions probably... in Doka Flow are drop. So if you want to also drop, you know, and just block traffic using Doka Flow, you can do that. And Doka Flow is 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 useful because it programs the hardware. It is tied to the eSwitch cache. Mm. So when you're programming entries using Doka Flow, you're you're getting the the offload in the eCache sort of for free, automatically. So Doka DPI, Doka Flow, these are Doka standard libraries. There's also AppShield. What what's happening with that one? AppShield is a very interesting one. Um, that's actually not one that I'm super familiar with, but the concept is that it will it's able to peek into the host based memory from the DPU and do all sorts of checks. Uh, the, the, the common use case would be for like host attestation. Mm. So you can, um, you'd, in theory, we'd want, we'd want to be able to have people take a look at the memory and make sure nothing's changed, right? So the, if there's any malware or sort of viruses on the system, that would be one way you'd be able to detect that. Um, one use case we're, we're thinking about or that uh, the GeForce Gaming Cloud is thinking using this for is for an, an anti-cheat system. So this would be a way that from the DPU, you can peek in the memory and see who, see is who, who is cheating by various strategies. Obviously, this is way over my head, uh, you know, yeah. way over this my head. This sounds a little bit head. like uh, VMware. They acquired a security company called Platinum. And what they were doing was tracking all of the operating processes in the VMs, inside the VM container, looking for viruses, looking for malware, looking for threats. And if something yeah. happened, then and it would sort of it was a combination of heuristics and fingerprinting and a bunch of stuff. It yep. sounds a, same, a bit, yeah. yeah, yeah, very similar, very similar. Again, I don't have a ton, of, very lot, yeah. a lot of experience. And this just came out with Doka one point three, so the sample application that we've uh, released is brand new, brand new to us too. So, mm. uh, but yeah, it's a very exciting technology. We're really, really, really pumped about. Uh, yeah, what, it's what just fascinating that the idea is is that you can sort of get into the memory of what's running on the server from the NIC, but then be running a small app there that's actually pulling away. So yeah. I think the feature here is that um, a security tool would be able to monitor the what's running on the CPU cores without the attacker. So if you've got a hostile attacker, exactly. 
they wouldn't know that you're actually watching that because there's exactly. not something that they can disable. It's running on the NIC. It's not inside the CPU, so they kind of right. They can't if it runs alongside the the host OS, then like yeah, who's watching the watcher? Right, you just obviously yeah, go right. after the watcher. It's like having your your electrical yeah. panel outside your house, right? The crook can come up and just switch your <laughs> switch all your power off. You know. Yeah. Well, that concept is actually a long-term future around DPUs, I think, that this idea that the DPU contains things that watches the status of the server without being part of the server, a bit like the BMC, like, you know, the uh, the Dell DRAC software or the yeah. HP ILO so sort of thing. Over time, I think there'll be an evolution in that direction. All right, so we talked a little bit about the standard libraries, AppShield, DPI Flow. There's also Doka services. What are the services and how are they different from the, the libraries? Yeah, Drew, that, that's a great question. So Doka services are probably like the third pillar of, of the Doka product. And the services are sort of the curated like software stacks. Usually these are distributed as containers on um, the NVIDIA GPU cloud on, or NGC. So if you, go to, if you go on NGC today and just search Doka, you'll see some of these Doka services that are available today. Um, one, of, Yeah, a couple of them are, are there. You'll see a Doka telemetry. Um, most interesting to me right now is our Doka host-based networking service. So that's really exciting. That is very, very much like the Cumulus uh, switch software stack sort of inside of the DPU. So think top of rack switching functionality uh, inside of your server now. So you can do BGP unnumbered up to the top of rack and have a completely layer three fabric um, using mm -hmm. the Doka HBN service to provide then all of those virtualized and you know services up to the host, up to a bare metal host, or even virtualized hosts. So I guess what there's, there's something I think we should call out here is that uh, the DPU, the the Bluefield OS, is a container-based thing, and I can load my apps into containers on top of this using the Docker APIs. Um, that's sort of not not exactly it. I, I think containers right. just tend to be the best way to sort of distribute these curated software stacks. And, we're, and, you know, with the prevalence of Kubernetes and everything, that just tends to be the best way to distribute these, these services. Again, it's software stacks different than the Doka libraries where, you know, you're writing software with, the, with those accelerated libraries. The services are more like grab and go, sort of like an app store. You know, that's sort right. of the concept, yeah. right? And that, that's what makes <laughs> containers so nice. You just kind of walk up on the shelf. We've already designed this for you, put it together, curated it all for you. You just can pull it off the shelf and run it on your DPU. That's sort right. of the idea. So there's a gap here between applications and APIs in, that come inside of Doka. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this host-based networking, I'm essentially getting a BGP router running on the DPU. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's it. Um, it's running FRR, so free-range routing, just yep. like uh, yep. you know, Cumulus Linux ran. So yep, there's a layer three stack there managing BGP. And it's going to look and feel a lot like our favorite CLIs <laughs> if you'd like to go in there and, and mess with FRR directly. But yeah, it's, it's a wonderful service. Uh, yeah, it looks and feels a lot like, you know, Cumulus Linux. Uh, that's where I came from. I came from the Cumulus mm. Linux, Cumulus acquisition. So that's my comfort zone. And it's very much that kernel first sort of networking model. So um, it's a Doka service because there's a driver as part of that software stack that's called NL2Doka. It stands for NetLink. Doka. And it's basically the same paradigm as like that Cumulus stack where there was a user space application that subscribed to all sorts of networking related Netlink messaging from the kernel and then just programmed the ASIC accordingly. So same sort of idea. It's a kernel first 
use kernel networking constructs. And then there's a driver here watching what's going on in the kernel and then making it go fast in the hardware. Okay. So I'm trying to understand the difference then between Doka services and the Doka standard libraries. I'm understanding that as the libraries are, if I'm wanting to create an application or service to run on the, the blue field, I can leverage those libraries. Whereas the services, it sounds like it's already kind of a pre-built application I just use. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Mm. That's exactly it. Got yep. It. Mm. Yeah. The Doka accelerated libraries or APIs um, are for programmers. Yeah. If you're writing something custom, or you know you want to do something on the DPU, you know with your existing application, sort of that brownfield use case. Uh, the Palo Alto use case is a great example where they are offloading using intelligent traffic offloading to make to to cache flows in the E switch and go line rate hmm. instead of going all the way up a long way through the slow path. Um, if the flow can be determined that it doesn't need the full security inspection. Got it. it you you it can, can just redirect that flow to go uh, straight path instead of having to go through all the security checks and potentially add latency. Correct. Yeah. And that would just be mm. basically a Doka API call. In the in the Palo code somewhere, they are just basically saying like, hey, just go ahead and offload this flow for me. Okay. So you're just using a piece of the accelerated library there. Um, but you can also, like I said, using Doka flow, potentially build an application from scratch, you know, using that as a very fundamental core part of your application, or just little pieces like that to offload what you need. But yeah, compared to the services, very much standard containerized package of things, you just take it and run run it on the DPU. Okay, so if I needed uh, to have a BGP for whatever reason running right on my hosts, I could just sort of uh, license this uh, HBN, the, the host-based networking service without having to work with a third-party software developer, an ISV or whatever. I just get it and go because I've bought the DPU and licensed the service. That's it. Okay. Mm. Except uh, I, I think we've made it even easier. There's no license required. Ah, <laughs> ding, ding. Don't give them I any ideas, it, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also talking here about doing EVPN, surely. Right? Yeah, so you yeah. can actually do straight up VXLAN encapsulation or MPLS, even MPLS right out to the edge, I imagine. Um, yeah, MPLS, yes, although um, we don't have hardware support for MPLS tags in the eSwitch there. Uh, VXLAN, okay. yes. So VXLAN, though, yes, that's very much the targeted use case. You know, that, that dumb layer three fabric BGP everywhere with a network overlay. That's, mm -hmm. that's sort of our key use case there for, for Doka HBN. And then you get all the ability then as the administrator to be able to create all sorts of interfaces in you know, VXLAN, VTIs, v, or VNIs, and VTEPs and then provide those sorts of network services, overlay transport services to the host. The host will just see two NICs, two network interfaces. They mm -hmm. can configure them however they'd like, but on the DPU that gets piped down to you and you can sort of do whatever you want to do with those, uh, with that traffic on its way out. And that can include NCAP, DCAP, you know, uh, put into an IPsec packet. You know, there's all sorts of sort of those inline services we can do. Taking so us we, back to firewall, even right. So, th so this is actually gets us back to uh, you know today where we have like uh, fifty VMs in a hypervisor, and then they hit the switch, and then they get encapsulated in an eVPN. We could actually be doing that right at the VM interface, and so instead of having so instead of relying on somebody like NSX to do it third party, we're now moving to a much more multi-provider type of situation where. The hardware acceleration engine, the, the ConnectX uh, ASIC is actually doing the encapsulation at wire speed. It's accelerated on the server. The VMs right. and the containers just see this native interface that's all standardized. 
yeah. then all the magic happens underneath. Right on. Yeah, it just looks like an untagged interface. Just uh, that's what that's what I like would like to provide to my tenants. You know, then as a mm. network network administrator, just encrypted and, and encapsulated. However, I need to get it where it needs to go. Right, because yeah. it can be encrypted. You mentioned Dipsec. There is a crypto accelerator in the blue field. There I think is. it runs about fifty gigabits per second from memory. Yeah. yeah. On the two, the I think the three is even faster. Or that's the or is that the Regex engine? Regex, through Regex is 50 gigs. gigs. Ipsec is 100 gigs. 100, okay. yeah, full line rate. Yeah. Full line rate. So, you know, if you wanted to encrypt across your data center fabric, you can. You can, yep. So you mentioned, you know, one of the benefits of this uh, distributed software-defined architecture is that it's distributed and software-defined. So for this HBN, is how am I interacting with these router instances? Am I going into each individual one and playing with the CLI, or is there some kind of, you know, more of a controller-based, sort of SD-WAN-based or management-based way to get in there and do it programmatically? So today, we don't provide any of that sort of higher-level orchestration. Um, that would just be normal part of your operations, whatever you've got today, you know, Ansible, Salt. Um, okay. And the, it's that classic sysadmin versus network admin <laughs> side of the shop conversation, right? Um, ideally, it would be orchestrated just like a server would be, but obviously, it's got a lot of networking features. So... Um, there should be a lot of overlap. We like to say that there's a lot of overlap between these two, between these two functions in IT, <laughs> and really there should be if we're being honest. But you know, we all know the secret war between the the server people <laughs> and the network people. But um, we do work together. Right. We do. And this is one of those person. times. This is one of those times where it's pretty key. Well, I think it's. I think the important part that I'm taking away from the discussion is that if you move the network inside the server, then all the software of the network becomes part of the provisioning. So if you're using a software system to provision your VMs or to provision Kubernetes or, you know, VMware or Red Hat's OpenShift, then they would probably provision a lot of this configuration work as part of that process. And that's what we're leading towards. Is that, am I right? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm following you. Yeah, that, that's yeah. exactly true. Like that orchestration between the host interfaces and then what you're doing on the DPU is really kind of tightly bound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I would say that, yeah, again, today, NVIDIA doesn't provide a, sort of a larger orchestration solution for that yet. No. Um, but a, a lot of our partners and vendors like uh, Juniper has a solution called JESP, the Juniper Edge Services Platform. It's very much meant to solve that sort of problem, right? It's very much a mm. lifecycle management, uh, you know, edge deployment use case. It'll deploy containers on the, on the DPU. They've got a CSRX that's ready to go. Um, so they have, uh, there are people that have built those sorts of solutions. I think in-house though, yeah, to your point, those things mm. start to get a little bit more complicated. You, do, you would have to work together and sort of time these things. Um, the great example I have is with the virtual functions, uh, the virtualized virtual functions that that run that exist on the host. So by default, you get two interfaces with like a two-port DPU. You'll see two interfaces on the host. Mm, mm. You can create as many virtual instances of those interfaces as you want. Well, with exception, you can get to like 255 or something, but it's some <laughs> limitless, uh, functionally limitless amount of interfaces you can create. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So you, you just, it's just one command. You just echo a number just to a system file and it creates some virtual uh, functions for you. The mm. moment you do that, they also pop into the DPU and you have to plumb them up. So yeah. to your point, yes, there is a really tight kind of bounding between, um, 
now how you're orchestrating your interfaces on your server and how you have to then orchestrate those services to actually get out to the wire and apply all the services that you want in line right. on the yeah. GPU. Those two things sort of happen, have to happen at the same time. And that's and, kind of already happening because yeah. we're seeing integrations between SDN controllers and the Kubernetes. Yes. And I was just going to say, like, that is yeah. already happening today. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And we're seeing SDN apps connect to the vSphere or to the vCloud to read, not so much to write, but to read what's happening there so that you can match up the network to the virtual. This is going to drive that a step further, I think, because you're going to want that integration. You're not going to want to be, you know, configuring the DPU separately from the application per se. Yeah, it's really the same problem as, as the physical, like... It, before software-defined networks, right? It was like you got racked and stacked, then you'd call the server mm. team and be like, hey, cable up my servers. You know, it's the same problem, it's just all virtual now. These mm. are just software-defined instances of all of these things, yeah. um, which is, you but know. But a lot of enterprises like hyperscalers and cloud operators, so people who are hosting off what I call off-prem clouds, will be all over this because this lets them reduce power extend a lot, uh, you know, and as they deploy servers, they can deploy these in new. You don't have to replace yeah. the entire infrastructure to take advantage of these. Absolutely. And it, yeah. And it also gives um, bare metal providers an interesting uh, way to manage their servers outside of just doing iDRAC or ILO or things like that, right? So they, mm. they have this device that sits inside of that server and it's kind of like their little snitch into what's going on and <laughs> they need to, you know, wipe a box or something like that. They've got a lot more control and they can run, you know, packet filtering and all those things right there at the edge. So mm. there's a lot of new enablement that's going to happen just because I can administer this through the NIC as well as right. on box from the box itself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I did touch on the storage capabilities, but these NICs can be NVMe acceleration engines. So you can have a server with no hard drive but presenting a hard drive that's external to it. So it's in a storage array somewhere or, you know, a top of rack storage subsystem. So they're very much a part of a, what might be coming or what we're seeing a resurgence back of this idea of composable infrastructure. They're certainly going to be part of that too, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm having conversations with customers all the time about, you know, how do we, how do we boot from, you know, UEFI from just having a blue field in there rather than strapping in NVMe or whatever we need. So mm. it's, it's it's happening right now. <laughs> and that's because people are concerned about the UEFI boot code and they want to be able to load it every time the server restarts to know that it's not been attacked, Yeah, which is an interesting one. So what I want to do is wrap this up with a practical discussion around how the DPU would probably appear for, say, most people in the enterprise or increasingly for 5G providers, which is Project Monterey, which is VMware's um, consumption of the DPU. How does that look from a Bluefield point of view? Yeah, so so we're working really closely with VMware, and and basically what they've done is they've built a a lighter version of ESX called ESXIO that they're running on the Bluefield, mm. and what they're using is um, various hardware acceleration engines inside the Bluefield, and they're calling that via an API from ESX to say, hey. Here's a, here's an NSX flow. Go ahead and offload that to the DPU, mm. or um, in the next phase, you know, here's 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 vSAN calls that need to happen, or compression, or whatever. We're going to start offloading these things. The reason why, as anybody that's running VMware in their shop knows, NSX, vSAN, these all consume a ton of CPU resources on the x86 host. So if we can start to mm. offload those, mm. um, not only do we get the 
the security separation by you know inspecting flows before they hit the x86 where they could be you know attacked in memory or things like that but we can we can also offload that that hardware acceleration uh, it also enables you to not only just save those CPU cores, but in some cases you can actually process more because of those hardware accelerators. So it's not just offload, it's also acceleration. Yeah. And there, yeah, I think, I think a lot of your listeners are going to see DPUs start ending up in their data centers through Monterey. I think so. I could imagine, like we talked about IPSEC. So imagine if you've got VMs that are IPSEC enabled, you can get PCI compliance because that data flows in an auditable way encrypted. You don't have to create separate uh, physical servers that are isolated and, you know, all that sort of stuff. You can start to say, no, no, we're encrypting that data, that PCI data mm-hmm. to the VM. And you might be able to get through PCI4 because that is based on outcomes, not on methods. Uh, and I was also thinking that uh, NSX, a lot of people use NSX for firewalling right. mm-hmm. and for IDS and for threat detection. And Doka has a whole bunch of libraries around IDS and has the regex engine. So uh, companies, so VMware could say, well, we're going to load a, a, a bunch of known regexes and, and to find them, yep. but it will be offloaded to hardware instead of relying on the CPU core. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, today, you know, I've seen some numbers floating around of, you know, at least four physical cores being saved because of that offload. Right. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so it's not just the savings, it's the performance and the, the, the security de- you know, separation that you get from moving where mm. these services live. And I, I think there's there's a lot of future in something like that. Um, there's a lot of flexibility that happens. And uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty excited to see what's happening with it. Well, I mean, VMware did demonstrate ARM, VMware running on ARM CPUs sure. three or four years ago. So it's not that long. There's actually even some discussion of them running the hypervisor on the DPUs in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's not here yet, but you know that's the conceptual model. Perhaps as a takeaway, I I think I don't I don't think you're going to see end user facing applications living on a DPU anytime soon. No, at least from I meant the hypervisor, but yeah, 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 well, yeah, but when you're when you're running the hypervisor on there, the the assumption is then oh, I might deploy some VMs there, right? No, but in yeah, this yeah. case, it might be management VMs or things of that nature. But I, I imagine most of this is going to remain kind of a a closed ecosystem that'll be managed through vCenter rather than expecting you to be able to choose, you know, Hey, I'm going to deploy this service or that. I think this is going to be something that VMware is going to kind of wrap into their interface and say, all right, we're going to, if you're deploying NSX, you're not going to make the decision of using hardware offload or not. If the Mm. hardware offload exists, it's going to do it. Right. I'm going to detect that there's a blue field and I'm going to start sending the command, you know, I'll, I'll know what to do. Right. And, you know, not being a part of their product team, but seeing where this might end, you know, that's, that's kind of where my head sees it. It's, it's less of a administrator driven thing, but more of a, like, let's, let's offload this from the users. They don't have to think about it anymore. The only time they're going to think about it is when they're ordering the box. So do you anticipate, uh, or what, what do you see for use cases? you see this folks putting uh, servers with Bluefields into the data center? Or is this more like I need to extend you know, the NSX fabric out to an edge where I don't have a lot of equipment? What's, how are folks going to deploy them? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 think, I think what's going to happen, especially once the, you know, the financial models and stuff like that start to show up in front of customers and they're going to see how much how much they're going to save from a CPU resource perspective, you know, they're going to start saying, all right, well, as we keep adding more and more VMware services to secure our data center or to add more functionality, that that has a cost associated. Mm-hmm. And if we can offload that fairly, fairly, I want to quote unquote cheaply, 
then it might be <laughs> worth our effort, right? So I think there's there's the savings that's going to happen there. But I think, yeah, I I I, mm. I think most people are are going to consume it by just uh, natural refresh of their clusters. Yeah. Um, but the edge is an interesting use case, and I think what's what's really cool and gets into some futures talk. So we probably won't dive too deep into that. But when you start running these services that are traditionally tied directly to ESX, when you're uh-huh. starting to run those in in a DPU, all of a sudden the host may not need to run ESX, but you could possibly give services that are normally tied to ESX to it, such as NSX. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's where the edge use cases become really interesting. So security segmentation, that kind of thing. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. me, there's two things that I get. One is the enhanced infrastructure security. So I get isolation of the workloads from the infrastructure. So the management, the administration, um, I get to put my threat detection not in the CPU core, but in a separate compute yep. infrastructure. If that makes a weird kind of sense, that increases. And I'm also getting to offload the infrastructure processing mm-hmm. into a jailed, trustable environment, which is in the DPU. Um, and then I get the second part is then the scaling of it. Every time I add a server and I add a DPU, a server with a DPU, I'm getting so much more processing power added to everything. It's not just CPU. So now I can run more VPNs. I'm now actually increasing my security processing. I'm increasing my network forwarding performance. I'm increasing, you know, all those things as well as my storage capacity. Because if I'm using the NVMe storage acceleration functions of these of the DPUs, then all of a sudden I'm getting that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be, and I, I haven't really seen this fleshed out yet as they're still writing code, but I think there's going to be really interesting things coming out of moving some of the vSAN stuff onto the Bluefield. Yeah. Um, you know, moving compression and and those types of things over to uh-huh. something that has an engine that's designed for it or the SHA hashing mm-hmm. engine, right? Yeah. Um, you know, half of vSAN's overhead is basically SHA hashing, ensuring that your your blocks mm-hmm. are, are, you know, not mm-hmm. being corrupted. Mm-hmm. So you start offloading some of those things into hardware acceleration and, and uh, it enables them to then start focusing on other things, right? So it's well, not just offloading, to but it adds Seagate. more features. I was listening to Seagate talking about uh, they're moving to an NVMe interface for their spinning spindle-based hard drives. And the idea there would be is that you could create a box which is just passing the NVMe from the adapters directly to it, and there you could have near-line storage or slow storage or... Mm. You know, so you have your SSD storage here, and that's where your primary storage is. But you could write to an offline storage or a nearline storage directly to the spindles. And those hard drives have the intelligence to handle objects, not blocks. And and there, so there's a whole bunch of and and because the DPU is processing software, not hardware, it's not like fiber channel, which is reading and writing blocks from the from the disk drive. It moves to an NVMe, which is a different sort of an idea. So that software means you can change the way it works and potentially talk directly to the hard drives about yeah. fetching objects. Yeah. And, and and along that vein, this is kind of like a little science fair project that I saw uh, that I've been working with um, Patrick Kennedy at Serve the Home on. But basically, the DPU doesn't always have to be tied to an x86 box either. And what mm. we're starting to see is some very unique use cases in storage, especially but if you throw the DPU in something like a, a JBox um, from AIC where they've got PCI switches and that's it, you can start strapping in GPUs or various other things yeah. where, where the Bluefield is actually acting as the root complex for PCI and that's your box. 
So you can really start looking at composable infrastructure from a, you know, mm. what do I actually need to make this application function? And that becomes really interesting for AI and other things, right? Where all I need to do is just strap a ton of uh, GPUs in a box. So it's it's very, very interesting what it, <laughs> it is. And that root complex use case is yeah. like flips it on its head, man. That's really. Yeah. 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 That's and that weirdly has been around for over a decade, but it's and it's comes back every now and then. But right now it's very interesting because people want to be able to not just have storage arrays, but also have memory arrays. Mm -hmm. So you, and then have CPU arrays and say, I want to build a server with four CPUs and 64 gigs of RAM and have them all. And in fact, the, the new version of PCI called CXL drives in this direction as well. Yeah, but something's still got to pull it all together. There's, you know, where's the controller that yep. handles the composing? Uh, and that's all networking to my mind. So PCI is a network. I, well, mm -hmm. I see PCI as a network. So having the root controller in the DPU makes perfect sense to me. And whether it's PCI or the next generation of CXL, uh, CXL is another network, by the way, but it's a successor to PCI. Really interesting the way the model for the data center is transforming. But it's also weird to me that composable infrastructure is something that's been happening for over 20 years. And maybe this time it might happen. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. 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 <laughs> It's funny that say PCI is a network, and then I think, well, network as a bus? Like, which way is it? Well, PCI is not a bus now. It was uh, in the earlier generations, but everything's lanes, and there's so many lanes now that it looks much more like a switch. Yeah. Uh, in that the, the bus actually talks directly to devices. And if you think about direct memory access or RDMA between appliances, so between the, 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 the nodes on the PCI bus, so that is GPU writing directly to memory or writing directly to the to the blue field, um, then all of a sudden you're talking about a switch, which is a point-to-point -point architecture, and, and the connections go direct. And if you think about RDMA, where you're actually writing between nodes in a network, so from appliance A to appliance B, and this is another thing that Bluefield does, weirdly enough, is RDMA. I can do direct remote memory writes from server A to server B if, that, if my application wants to. Um, I see all that as networking. I don't see that as... You know, it, it it might work over an Ethernet fabric. Uh, you know, a lot of people used to do this over InfiniBand fabrics before, but Ethernet fabrics and IP fabrics, it's still just networking to me. It is. Right. All right. Well, Justin and Wes, uh, thanks for joining us. There's still, I think, a lot to know about Doka if folks want to dig into this. Uh, and also the Bluefields, where, where would they go? Yeah, I think you just head out to NVIDIA.com and quick search for Doka. Okay, that's D-O-C-A. So yeah, NVIDIA.com, search for Doka. We'll also have some specific links in the show notes uh, if you want to get more details. Uh, thanks for joining us and thanks to NVIDIA for being a sponsor. And of course, thanks to you for being a listener. If you like this episode, you can find many more fine, free technical podcasts and our community blog. It's all at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at PacketPushers. Listen to us on Spotify, rate us on Facebook and uh, Apple Podcasts. We're also on YouTube. If you're looking for courses, information, learning, check out PacketPushers on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search PacketPushers. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.